Good morning, good morning. I am not generally a complainer. Uh, for the reason of one, I understand that I have no reason to complain as far as human beings go. I'm about as lucky as one as there has ever been. And also, it just doesn't seem to ever do me any good. People do not seem to care about my troubles. Uh, if you will grant me an exception, I will admit to you that October has been a month I could uh, forget. First and foremost, as probably all of you are aware, uh, the Braves lost the pennant um, in disastrous fashion, uh, which is nothing new. I've been a Braves fan all of my life. I'm used to it. However, in game four, when Bryce had the pitching game of his life, I had hope. I allowed myself to have hope. I went into the brave spirit and soul, and they acted accordingly, as they always do. And I know Chuck is a Dodgers fan, and I'm not going to cheer for the Rays really, really hard, because such would be petty. Um, the other thing that uh, a lot of you probably are familiar, or, or probably aware of, uh, I was supposed to be here a few weeks ago, and my family had our turn with COVID, uh, my wife and my two kids. Um, I was spared. Uh, I'm outside of, of the quarantine. I had no symptoms. I tested negative. If you do not want to shake my hand after, though, I, I understand. I will not be offended. I will try to avoid uh, shaking your hand. Uh, and, and we were lucky. I mean, we were very fortunate. It was, as, I suppose, about as mild a case as you can ask for. No serious symptoms. Uh, the just trying to self-isolate in a house with a four-year-old and a two-year-old presented uh, its challenges. Uh, my wife and I joked, I don't know, have any of you seen the Netflix movie Bird Box with Sandra Bullock? Okay, probably, it's not a very good movie, I don't, uh, this isn't a commercial for the movie, but the premise of the film is that there's this sort of evil thing in the sky and you never really know what it is. All you know is that if you look at it, it causes you to harm yourself. And there are a few people who aren't affected and they go around trying to make people look at the thing. It's, it's a weird, I, I know. But it's a perfect metaphor for my children uh, because they have never loved me more in their lives than they did in the few days I was trying to keep my distance from them, hugging me, kissing me, putting their hands in, in my mouth and such. I, I had a little um, a blow-up mattress that I slept on uh, to try to stay away from it. I woke up the first night and I opened my eyes and I just felt COVID particles hitting me in the, na in the nose and mouth where my four-year-old had some reason chosen my mattress in the corner of the house to come sleeping in the middle of the night. But no, it's good though. It, it is good. I, I really, I just, I tease. I have no reason to complain whatsoever. We're very fortunate and, and everything uh, is good. How many of you are familiar with Healing Hands International? Can I see your hands, please? Okay, excellent. Most of you, that's wonderful. In case uh, you are not, Healing Hands International is a, an organization uh, founded and based in the Churches of Christ, supported by the Churches of Christ out of Nashville, Tennessee. Our mission is to aid, equip, and empower low-income communities all over the world in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, we do that in a variety of ways. We have a disaster relief ministry. That's sort of where we cut our teeth. That's where we got started. That's what most folks across the nation know us as. We also have a clean water ministry, a food ministry. Uh, we do women empowerment. We have a project called the Magi Project. 
You can go to our website, hhi.org. You can find all of the information you could ever want on those ministries. I would ask you to do that and see if there is something there that aligns with your mission as an individual and that perhaps we can partner with you as you uh, seek to um, accomplish the things you're wanting to accomplish in this life. Due to our time limitations this morning, I'm going to talk about two of those, food and water. And I'll start with clean water. I would like you to imagine with me for a moment what your day would look like if you did not have access to fresh, clean water. I suppose many of you this morning, when you woke up, the first thing that you did was that you went and you used the restroom and you flushed the toilet and then you turned on a sink to wash your hands and then you turned on a sink again to brush your teeth and then you took a shower and then you made some coffee and then you may have made some oatmeal and then you probably drank some water, you gave some water to your kids to drink, to your dogs to drink, to your cats to drink, you used water on your plants, on your gardens, on your yard. What would it be like for you if you did not have access to water. That is the story right now for approximately three quarters of a billion people on this planet. And so what they do every single morning when they wake up, they grab a bucket, a jerry can, anything that they can find that'll hold water, and they start walking. It's mostly women and children. They walk four, five, six miles one way, to whatever the nearest water source happens to be. I can give you an anecdote about this. When we were in Haiti not long ago, we were driving to this remote village. We drove over this bridge, and there were these two young men filling up jerry cans there, a little stream. We asked them if they wanted a ride back to their house. They said that they did. They hopped in the back of our truck, and we drove them five miles one direction. These were probably six, seven-year-old boys that filled up two jerry cans each at probably 25 or so pounds of water that they were about to carry back five miles by themselves. And the next day when we weren't there, they were going to wake up again, they were going to get those same jerry cans, and they were going to walk that same five miles back to that stream. Now, often when I give these talks, someone comes up to me and they, they offer you know, they, suggestions on what folks need to do to lift themselves up out of poverty. And you already know what the suggestions are. They say they need to work harder. They need to learn English. They need to learn a job skill. And I get it, and, and that's totally understandable. But the question I want to ask is, okay, well, you tell me, though, when, when does that eight-year-old boy, when does he learn math when he's walking 10 miles a day to get water for his family? When does that young lady learn a job skill when the majority of her day is spent walking with her sisters to get water for her family? And unfortunately, uh, the worst part of the water crisis is not the time spent, it's not the distance walked, it's not the opportunity cost. The worst part of the water crisis is the quality of the water that they get. This here is a typical water source. This here is a typical water source. Last year, or maybe two years ago now, I'm sorry, my memories are running together, we were in the Masi Mara region of Kenya. We were drilling a well for this village. 
In this village, there are 2,500 people and 10,000 animals. And every single one of those living creatures get their water from that hole right there. That young lady was my age. She had five kids. She said she walks to her house, to that village, to that watering hole and back four times a day. And that's all the water that they have. The day after this, we visited some friends of ours at the Ayaro Church of Christ in the Ayaro region of Kenya. We were working on a well project with them as well that finally got completed uh, just a few months ago, actually. <clears throat> the preacher asked us if we'd like to go see the water source that they were currently using, and we did. And so we walked probably a mile and a half or so from the church building and where their village was to what I would call a mud hole, <clears throat> probably a little bit smaller than this room. And while we were there, there were these two ladies, and they were bent over, and they were filling up their jerry cans with water. And probably 20 yards or so behind them, there was this gentleman there with probably half a dozen or so cows. And they were in the middle of the water, and they were also drinking from the water. And if you know much about cows, you know that while they were drinking, they were using the restroom in the same water that those two young ladies were going to take home to cook with, to clean with, to drink, to give their children to drink, because it's all that they have. Every single day in this world, we lose 6,000 people to dirty water. And of those 6,000, about 90% of them are children ages 5 and younger. The part about that that is so frustrating to me, and also that makes me hopeful, is the fact that it does not have to be that way. We know what to do. We're not waiting on a cure. We have the technology. We have the resources. The only thing lacking is will. The only thing lacking is for enough people who have those resources to come together and say, this is an issue that we are going to solve. Because it isn't right that anyone, any human being anywhere, should have to drink that kind of water. And when we do that, when we come together and we decide to do something, we get different images and we get different stories. Like this here. Like this young lady here who probably every single day of her life that she can remember. She's been walking with either her sister or her mother however many miles to get water for her family. And then one day, for some reason that she'll never understand, at least not right now, these Christians showed up from America to bring fresh, clean water to her village so that she doesn't have to walk anymore. And just like that, all of a sudden, her life is completely different. I share another story with you. This gentleman here, his name is Tobias. And I decided that I would just read this story from you directly from the words of John Dubay, who is a partner of ours. He is my colleague. He works in Zimbabwe, where he is from. And I'm going to read you what he wrote about Tobias and the village that he's from, which is the Bandela village. Bandela village is about 60 kilometers from the Zambia-Zimbabwe border. And the village, like all communities in the Zambezi Valley, is situated in a very mountainous and stony area. The land is semi-arid with thorny bushes and without adequate pastures. 
The people of Bandela survive by growing the few crops that will grow in marginal lands that lack adequate rainfall, such as sorghum and millet. The people also keep small herds of mountain goats, which mostly feed on the thorny bushes. The general welfare of the people can only be described as very tough. Hunger and desperation is evident in the faces of the children and the women. Bandela has been a preaching point for evangelist Charles Fury and his team for more than 10 years. The small band of the faithful meet in a small church in the village, and the number of believers has been slowly growing. Despite the resilience of the people of this remote village, the problem of water is severe. The streams dry up in the dry months of the year, and people have to walk to the Kafui River about six miles away. The drought of 2019 and 2020 made this de desperate situation even worse. All the water in the streams and the shallow wells dried up, leaving the women no choice but to wake up before dawn once every day to walk about six miles to the Kafui River to fetch water for their families. The lack of water in the village was compounded by a severe crop failure, which brought about food shortages. This double tragedy made survival almost impossible, and many people began to abandon their, their ancestral village to look for areas where survival was not as hard. It was at this time when the people couldn't find the answers to the challenges of survival that Charles Fury, a local preacher, with the help from Healing Hands International, engaged a drilling company to start looking for underground water. The first well that was drilled unfortunately did not yield any water, it was a dry well. But the driller moved to a second site where much water was found, and the well now produces water for the people and livestock. Tobias Mwitwa, this gentleman right here, is a 63-year-old senior member of the village. He had this to say on what the water means to him and his family. When the drought hit this region, our crops failed, and our water sources all dried up, and people began to walk more than 10 kilometers to the Kafui River to get water for family use. Unfortunately, it wasn't just the distance that was a challenge. The river was also infested with crocodiles. After my daughter survived a crocodile attack, I decided it was time to leave, to go to another village where they had safe access to water. Leaving my ancestral village was very painful to me and my family. And when we heard that the Church of Christ and its partners had drilled a deep well and installed a hand pump, I decided to bring my family back. And this well is really a blessing to me and to the entire village. Here's a picture of some more of the villagers. I was talking to my father-in-law last night as I was preparing for this, and I shared that story with him, and we both sat there, and he, he almost chuckled just out of the sheer unbelievability of it. And we both just said, can you fathom, can you even imagine what it would be like for crocodiles to be a legitimate part of your daily experience, that you genuinely lived your life in fear that you or your family member may get attacked by a crocodile because they live in the only place where you can get water. Now, fortunately, that is not their story anymore. And if you ask yourself, well, how did that happen? How did this remote village, seemingly in the middle of nowhere, get the resources to drill a freshwater well so that they could go back to their ancestral lands and have fresh, clean water? And the answer is because of these people right here on the screen. 
I suspect you are familiar with some of these people. They're a very handsome group. Um, they are you. They are the other individuals in the Birmingham area or partners over at the Palisades Church and Decatur Highway Church and Asheville Road Church who all came together on this event last year so that we could sponsor several wells in Africa so that we could have stories just like the one we just heard. Sometimes I feel like, like this story here and other stories, I almost feel like I need to make them not as tragic as they are because they seem almost unbelievable. To think that every single day a group of young women wake up before dawn to have to walk six miles to get water where there is a legitimate fear of crocodiles just seems unbelievable. But that is the reality that people face. And we can make a difference next week, just like you all made a difference last year. I hope you will once again make the choice to do that, and I hope that we can drill more of these wells and have more stories just like this. Um, the walk is next week, as Chuck said. I do ask if you plan to attend the walk, uh, and even if you don't plan to attend in person, but you plan to be a part of it, I was asked by Gillian Kelly, who's my colleague, to trust you all, please register for the walk online if you want to do that. And the reason is that is how you get your free t-shirt, which everyone wants if you're going to participate. Again, you don't have to come to the walk, but please register online so that we know you are involved and we can get that to you. And hopefully we can, again, raise enough funds to drill one or two or more wells. And I know this is a weird year. All right? I'm, I'm very familiar with that, just like everyone. And it's going to be different. All right, I know that and you know that. And the numbers are not gonna be the same. There's no expectation that they are. Um, we are going to be as safe as we can be. We are gonna be outside, we're gonna be distancing, we're gonna be doing everything that we can to make the event safe. Um, I will be there in person, I feel comfortable being there in person, but at the same time, I completely understand if you're not. So there is a virtual walk online. You can walk yourself through your own neighborhood. You can share pictures of that. We'll share those on our social media, those kinds of things, if you want uh, to do that. But I do hope that you get involved some way if you are able. All right, agriculture. I love talking about agriculture. How many of you are involved in agriculture? Can I see a show of hands real quick, please? Okay, all right, zero. That is not as many as I had expected. All right, let me ask, let me ask the same question a different way. Uh, how many of you eat food? Can I see your hands, please? Okay, excellent. Looky there. Everyone is involved in agriculture. That is what I thought. If you are a consumer, you are an incredibly important piece of the agriculture value chain. A lot of responsibility in that, but that's talk for another time. Uh, here's what I want to talk about agriculture uh, today. Bill Gates, who I assume is at least somewhat of a smart fellow, he says, if you care about poor people, then you care about agriculture. And he is correct. And here's the reason. Um, if you look at the poorest people in the world, those who live on one to two US dollars a day or less, over 50% of them do what for a living? That's right, they're smallholder farmers. That's exactly right. And so if you can increase the output on smallholder farms in the world, that is the number one way that we can reduce poverty. Now, once again, there's no secret here. We're not waiting on any cure. We know exactly how to increase uh, production on smallholder farms. In fact, 
uh, we did it. We did it in America, we did it in England, we did it in France and Spain and every other so-called developed nation in the world. Four focuses, better soil, better seeds, better access and techniques around preserving water, and better education. And that is exactly what we're trying to do and are doing at Healing Hands International. We go into villages, we perform what we call level one survival gardening workshops. We're gonna teach them how to build a raised bed garden. We're gonna show them how to plant their seeds. We're gonna provide them with one year of inputs. We're gonna provide them with a drip irrigation system. We're gonna show them how to put it together. We're gonna to show them how to use it. And if they will use those four techniques alone, they will dramatically increase the production of their smallholder farms. This gentleman right here, his name is um, Jeremiah. I may have told you Jeremiah's story last year. I don't remember if I did or not. He was born without arms. He came to our agriculture workshop in 2018. I visited there, uh, the Kissy region last year. I met Jeremiah, he came up to me. He said, I hear you've been talking about me. I said, I have. He said, I hear that I'm famous. I said, let's not get carried away. I don't have the kind of audience you seem to think that I have. <laughs> but yeah, it's a really cool story and people have heard about you. And he was very excited to hear that. And this is what he told me. He said, well, the next time you go tell my story, you tell him this. Since I put into practice the techniques that you taught me two years ago, I raised more food on my farm than I ever raised. I supported my family. I had enough to take to market and I bought a cow. And then last year, or in the, in the ensuing year, I used the proceeds that I made from that cow and I bought a second cow. Now, if you've ever been to the Kissy region of Kenya, then you are very aware of what kind of social status it is to have a cow, much less two cows. And this man was walking six feet in the air. Uh, I mean, just telling everyone about how this workshop had changed his life. Now, there's another very important way that this workshop changed his life as well. All of our agriculture trainers are trained preachers. So essentially, uh, several years ago, when we were really developing this program, we knew that we wanted there to be, obviously, uh, an evangelist component, because that is at the heart of everything that we do. And we knew we had to either teach farmers to be preachers or teach preachers to be farmers. And because there were these preaching schools all around the countries in which we work, we decided it would be easier to teach preachers how to be farmers. And so we partner with schools such as Bear Valley, such as Nairobi Great Commission School and others. We go into those schools, we put on ag workshops there, we conduct um, uh, several weeks of courses and the folks who really uh, do well, we ask them if they would like a job. And so when they go back to their village to start a church, which was their purpose of coming to the preacher training school in the first place, they go back, they start a church, and then they also work with us conducting ag workshops around their church and the surrounding areas. And so every workshop begins and ends with uh, a devotional period. At the workshop we did in Kissy in 2018, Jeremiah, as well as 19 others in the village were baptized into Christ. They started a little church called the Kissy Church of Christ with about 20 members with some stumps up under some trees. Two years later, we went back and visited. Their church has a roof, it has walls, it has homemade pews, 
and it has about 150 people. They were wanting to expand the church while we were there because they were getting overcrowded. From 20 people to 150 in about two years. And it all started because, again, some Christians showed up to help them and asked for nothing in return. Because when you do that, particularly in places like rural Africa, you know, here, if, if someone were to show up and do this kind of thing, we would have all sorts of natural explanations for how that happened. There, there's one explanation. God did it. Somehow or another, God cared enough about this village and these people that he sent one of his messengers to come to help this village, and they're very receptive to the word. And this church and this story is one of hundreds. If you're not familiar, I, I hope that you... I hope that you do a little bit of research into what the church is doing in Africa, in India, in China. It's growing like wildfire. And we have a place in that story. We have an opportunity to affect change for good. And we have the opportunity to tell people about Jesus. All right, shifting gears here. I don't know each and every one of your story. There may be someone here today who's not a Christian Maybe you are a Christian, and you're asking yourself, okay, but why? I hear you. I get it. There are some folks in this world who are worse off than I am. There's an opportunity for me to do something about it. Okay, but why? I had someone ask me that not long ago. A member of the Church of Christ who is my age, who grew up in the church his entire life, and he, very seriously, he asked me, Okay, but where does Christian, where does the Bible actually teach anywhere that it's our job to help poor people? Uh, I wanted to say, well, just open the book and just point somewhere and you'll, you'll find it, but I didn't say that. I didn't think that would be productive. And I have thought about that quite a bit. And I guess here's my answer, which is probably much more convoluted than it needs to be. I think when you look at Genesis, one of the things that you find there is a beautiful poetic expression of the human condition, what it means to be a human being. I think what we find is that it means you're created in the image of God. It means that you are created as a creative being. I mean, God invites us in Genesis to be a part of the creation process. As a human being, you have the capacity for critical thought you have the capacity for self-reflection. You have the capacity to act. And those actions which you commit have real consequences here in this world for yourself and for others. The other thing I, I read in Genesis is that as a human being, our life in, in our world east of Eden is defined by alienation. I mean, Adam and Eve experience this directly, right? We live in a shadow, alienated from God, alienated from nature, alienated from each other, alienated from ourselves. Ever since the moment that we as mankind decided to take knowledge for ourselves, that has been our experience. And from that moment forward, the Bible as a story is a project on how to get back to that harmony. And I think there's only one way to do it. And that is through love. When you love, when you love another person, when you love a kid, your child, you love a friend, 
man, a woman, a stranger, when you love God, there is this mystical experience in which you simultaneously lose and gain yourself fully. Fully. Which is why, I believe, when Jesus is asked, what is the one thing that I should do, Jesus? All right, just tell us that. How are we supposed to live here, right now, in this world? Tell us what to do. He says, love. You love God with everything that you have, your heart, your soul, your mind, and you love your neighbor as yourself. And when you do that, not only is the recipient of your love going to receive the gift that you gave them, but you yourself are going to receive the gift as you grow more to be the person that God created you to be. And in that process, there is indescribable joy. And personally, I want you to get to experience that. And I myself want to experience that. And so when you take part in any healing hands, your local church, uh, other organizations, other opportunities, anything that you have to love another person, particularly those in a condition worse than yourself, not only are you helping them, but that is when you truly are the person you're supposed to be. If you have anything this morning, I can promise you that the elders here at the Hoover Church Christ want to help you. If you are not a Christian and that is a decision that you would like to make, I guarantee somebody here would like to speak with you. If you are a Christian but there's something in your life keeping you from being the person that you know that you should be and that you want to be, I know the people here at Hoover would love to talk with you. So if that is you, please come forward right now while we stand and while we sing.